Hello, and welcome to the Dungeon Masters Guildhouse. Uh, I am Matthew Whitby, your host, and this is a weekly podcast in which I sit down with uh, people who have created on the Dungeon Masters Guild. And I am flattered to be joined by the one and only Cam Day, uh, Daylight, Daylight Productions. Thank you so much for joining me. Of course, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. No, it's, 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 it's been in the works for a while. <laughs> and, and, and now we, we finally have it. Um, so I, if, uh, I guess the, the first thing to actually just hit the ground running, um, if people didn't know um, you or any of the stuff that you've done, what sort of products or services and what, what are you known for on the DMs Guild? Uh, so my big thing on DMs Guild is uh, either right now, most folks might know me by my Warforged series, which has been a series that I'm building of all Warforged sub-races um, and just Warforged content because Eberron is my favorite setting. And given that it just came out again with uh, Rise of the, Rising from the Last War, I wanted to make stuff for that. Um, or folks might know me for my big, uh, around every holiday, I try to do different subclasses themed to that holiday. Um, so if anyone has picked up uh, Baba Yaga, Warlock Patron, that was me, um, or The Drowned, um, The Dark Rider. There's a turkey in there somewhere as well. (laughs) Yes, I also uh, famously, uh, The Great Gobbler, which was a Thanksgiving Warlock Patron, where you get a patron that is a giant celestial turkey, uh, was featured by Greg Tito on D&D News, uh, which I was completely unexpected by that uh, <laughs> until I think Adam uh, shared it. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess they featured the Great Gobbler. Uh, I literally just made that as a meme. It was not supposed to be serious. Uh, I think that that's how most things, like, it, most things that tend to start off as a joke sometimes always get more traction than, than you anticipate. It's the case mm-hmm. of, like, if you have the joke, chances are there's much people go, that's, that's a good joke. <laughs> so that's mostly what I do. I've got a couple. I got two one shots out. Um, I also have a bunch of art packs for other creators. I like to, after I publish stuff, I like to take the art that I use for some of the bigger books and put them into art packs. So that way, my artists can make more money, and uh, the folks that you know need stock art can use those as stock art and other things. Yeah, I was going to say that's one thing that I noticed that that I feel like is it's something that's actually quite rare. Uh, across across the DMs Guild, and it's actually very refreshing. It's it's actually it's it's such a good idea because I mean sometimes not all. It's different if the art is very bespoke, like if if it's for like one. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like I don't know turkey art, like a turkey patron art is probably yeah. going to only work within uh, you know. A, but the sort of more uh, the art that's more out there is, is mm-hmm. yeah, it's nice. So I'm curious, like, so how how long ago did you start? How, how long ago did you start publishing on the, the DMs Guild? Because I believe you were publishing before uh, you started on there? Yeah, so on the guild I started publishing, um, I started working on a project in the summer of 2019 with uh, Ryan Langer of Realm Warp uh, Media. We started working on a project then, which is Root and Twig, uh, now a timber theme class booklet. The first thing I actually published was Voice of the Gods with Brian Holmes, which was a collection of four celestial themed subclasses for themed around obviously that's when Ascent into Avernus came out um so I wanted to release it around then and then also in that I decided to take uh Enochian which is kind of the the storied language of the angels that John D got in like the 1600s like oh I'm gonna write this down 
Um, and I built it as a glyph system within that because I thought it'd be interesting. Um, the glyph system is terribly unbalanced. I'll 100% admit that. It's awfully unbalanced, but I don't care because it is meant to be OP and it is meant to be over the top and epic. And that's something that folks will find in a lot of my stuff is that it's not super balanced. Uh, I tend to go for what sounds cool, what cinematically works. What fits uh, the flavor? Yeah, I, I'm for flavor. I'm not really for mechanics, uh, which peers of mine sometimes will critique, but uh, I don't I like what sounds cool and what is gonna lend to a good visual story. And I, I mean, I suppose like uh, the uh, the idea of like playing like an like what people consider like an overpowered class. I mean, as long as everyone at the table is still having fun. Um, sometimes watching one player, I don't know, like do a hundred, like three hundred damage in a turn, it's like wow. I mean, he's having a lot of fun, or they're having a lot of fun, and I just got to I got to witness that. So mm. that actually kind of leads me into like so when you're sort of talking about all these sort of subclasses that you do, what what is it about subclasses? Or I guess even even with the, what you're doing with the Warforge, you're coming out with like sub races. So it seems like you're very much with like taking taking the sort of established things and then sort of like forking away in like branching and stuff like that. So I think the big thing for me is just that it is that want for, you know, to have that epicness, to have that cinematic quality because I have a very, the way my brain works, it's very like, image driven and so there are times when you know you can go and you can play any of the options from you know xanathar's the player's handbook and pick those and those are all well and good but sometimes to me if i want something super specific and it's not out there I'm like, okay then i'm just gonna make it and because i want to take it to that next level and it also it's like sometimes it feels like well why is there nothing for this when there should be, because it seems like something obvious that folks would do. Um, so like, for instance, with the subclasses, I just, you know, there's times when I want to take those subclass, those regular classes, which, you know, are kind of your, your bread and butter and just make them completely over the top. Like if you look at my Christmas ones, those are perfect examples of ideas that shouldn't be allowed <laughs> To be published, I mean, the, Sh the Sugar Plum Scout Ranger was a terribly bad idea. So was the, the Nutcracker Legionnaire Fighter. Um, so it's, it's really, I want to try and find that balance between story and visual and just fun. Mm -hmm. Because there's been too many situations where I've been playing games and folks are like, no, you can only use the base stuff, only player's handbook these things I'm like well that's so limiting because now i'm forced to live in your story when this should be our story yeah so that's why i like to build that stuff and i mean with warforged um you know you have magic robots there's so much to play with from pop culture to incorporate that because like right now i've got um the zorforged which was kind of the uh, the big first book which is leading into more stuff, which is Bionicles in D&D, yeah. &D, because that's just too good to pass up. <laughs> um, there's the Interloper, which is my rendition of the Terminator. Uh, Submerged, which is you know a rendition of uh, Big Daddy from Bioshock. Uh, the Lawmaker, Robocop, and it's just, it's taking these things from pop culture that are so iconic, and I also like doing, and making them for D&D, &D because 
sure, you can hem and haw over like, okay, if I tweak it this way and I tweak this that way, I can do that. But why not just have a thing that you can buy for like a couple bucks yeah. and be like, that's the thing I want. And then just do that and you don't have to worry about trying to pull from so many different things. You can just have it and then be like, boom, I'm done. So I, I guess I sort of like uh, that sentence is my next question then, which is like, so, so how, how, again, because while looking through your catalog of like, everything you've done you have a very much it you have that big sort of pop culture pool but then you mm. do you have the sort of like the seasonal pool which i mean like again there's like seasonal films for just about everything <laughs> but i i'm curious about like so when it comes to like so when it comes to like creating an idea where mm. where do you pull the inspiration from the most part so being so i'm in school um i'm a senior in college and i'm gonna be a history teacher um so i've always really loved history and growing up in northern New Hampshire, um, I still go to college in New Hampshire, but growing up in northern New Hampshire um, with a dad who is a forester, uh, my mom is uh, a soil scientist. They both run a plant nursery uh, during the summer. Um, the outdoors is definitely a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm not the most active person. You know, I'll go for a hike every once in a while, but I don't like doing grunt work, even though I am very tall, very big. Uh, so... I like to take a lot of inspiration from history. So usually what I'll do is when I'm thinking of a new project to do, I'll either look, okay, is there something historical I can build off of? Is there something pop culture related I can build off of? Or is there something seasonal mm -hmm. that I can do? And um, with uh, Voice of the Gods, which was my first thing I ever published, that was really a historical one that I wanted to build off because I have this like, it's a little bookshelf somewhere yeah um this little book on a guide to Anaki and magic and i was like well this is just plain craziness mm -hmm. uh so i decided to take it and run with it um root and twig which that was six months of work mm -hmm. uh with ryan that was just you know the the connection that i have with the timber industry you know my grandfather ran a sawmill his own sawmill so that's just been a deep part of my life um that was a far more, that was a definitely a far more historically based one, definitely much more family based. Uh, I was, was going to say, literally, just, just by you saying the, the sort of the history your family has and with the jobs they did, it, it does fall into place. It's like, oh yeah, no, of, of course there would be like a, a, a timber focused class coming out of um, everything you did. And was, so well, I, I'm curious, so when it comes to both the voice of gods and then Root and Tweak, were there any sort of particularly challenging parts to try and get like either the, the book that inspired it, you know, this, uh, was it Achebelian? Anarchian. Um, like a practical sorry. guide to Anarchian magic. Like that, I'm, I'm more of like a, you know, devil worship more than anything else. So it's, it's, outside, <laughs> of my, it's outside of my realm of, but um, yeah, how, how do you find the process of taking a, a concept and then sort of, I don't know, feeding it through the D&D class system? Mm. So when, with Voice of the Gods, it was nice because, and with Root and Twig, it was nice having Brian, because Brian Holmes helped me with Voice of the Gods mm -hmm. and Ryan helped me with Root and Twig. It was nice having two folks that were so, you know, up there in the guild, Epsilons, that were able to help me figure out what to do. Um, because there was straight up one point where I wrote something in Root and Twig and Ryan commented, he's like, this is too powerful. <laughs> I'm cutting out half of it and we're starting from the top. I was like, <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. Um, so having them 
there was really fun. I think the biggest thing with uh, Voice of the Gods that was really challenging was getting the Anakian system to work in some way because Brian and I, the classes didn't take that long to do, but it was the Anakian glyph system as figuring out how to make it work. And again, it is still very unbalanced depending on which glyph you pick and that kind of thing, but it was trying to figure out, okay, like um, this glyph has this tarot value, which equates to like this emotional value. Mm -hmm. How do we make that work mechanically? So there's a couple of days where I get back from work <coughs> excuse me, during the summer and I just sit there and try and work through the table to figure out, okay, how are we going to figure this out? Um, and that took a while. The biggest challenge I think with Root and Twig was in that there's a completely original class, uh, the Garad Rug, which you can download for free because uh, I decided to pull that out. Mm -hmm. um, that was an immense challenge because not only was I designing a book full of, of subclass options, I decided I wanted to build a whole new class having never done it before. And that was very hard because again, I had this image in my head and I had to take it and make it work mechanically. And I definitely think having Ryan there to help really helped me build it because the premise of the Gerard Rug is I, um, also I have a lot of, uh, ancestors in Scotland and Ireland. Um, so my family goes back a ways there. And I've always been interested in Celtic mythology and that kind of thing, and especially uh, Celtic tree divination, which I always thought was super cool. Yeah. And so I had this little guidebook on Celtic tree divination, and I think I had just finished Voltron season eight, and you know I, we were talking about some buddies of ours about a game we were going to start playing, and I was like, "What?" And I was thinking of them. What if you had like a Voltron paladin? but combined with a druid. And they're like, that just sounds crazy. I was like, well, I'm going to start trying to build that. Yeah. Uh, so the, with the guard rube, the whole premise is you have this grove, which is a sentient spot of trees. Um, there's six different trees in the grove. Those six different trees um, connect to a different guard rube um, based on that tree. You get a baocrid, which is a little symbiote that grows with you naturally. Um, and then, based on which symbiote you have, it accentuates a different part of you. So if you pick like an oak tree, um, oak, deer, it's all for strength and guardianship and protection. So over time, that symbiote grows into a giant shield or um, the, uh, the Colcreed, which is hazel. Hazelwood is all about sort of death and the afterlife and that kind of thing. Um, so that grows into a gradually larger funeral headdress and allows you to communicate with spirits and that kind of thing. So that was a big challenge because I wanted to make it work in the fantasy. I wanted to make it so that it could work in any setting mm -hmm. because not all settings have that intense nature perspective because all of them are a little bit different. Like obviously Garrett Rue would not work in dark sun at <laughs> all. Uh, unless unless you're going to manipulate it to be like jungle trees, uh, yeah. then that's on you. I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, and then also how to keep it faithful to the history and respectful of the spirituality because Celtic tree divination is still a very real 
uh, belief that some people practice. So I wanted to make it faithful and respectful. So that was a big challenge of trying to make all those three things work together with that one class. No, I, I, it's, it's fascinating hearing hearing the process. Um, and I must admit, when I, when I first, um, so I've designed one class so far, and it it was a very interesting process. Uh, it's it yeah, it, and it's kind of it's kind of thing where you kind of thankful to have uh, a someone with more experience in classes sort of sat on your shoulder to sort of point out saying, oh yeah, no, they shouldn't be able to do that every short rest. That's that's a long rest thing, or you know. <laughs> Or like, oh, yeah, I love a one ability that does two d ten. That's probably not all right. <laughs> or like, you know, yeah, um, a little too much. But but I, I, it's it's also like I said, it's interesting to sort of hear about where the all the, the different stems of inspiration come, and it seems like you definitely pull from everywhere. Um, I w did want to ask about so when it came to adventure writing, um, mm -hmm. where, where does it sort of you know? I know it's was it you've got one which sort of ties in with like Baldur's Gate, mm -hmm. um, and but. But yeah, so the same, same, same sort of idea for your, what's your inspiration? So adventure writing, I, I've got, um, so I have two, which is there's Barrowbound, which I think is probably the, my, well, I like Barrowbound, and then I have The Light of Yule. Mm -hmm. The Light of Yule stemmed from a, it's a, it's a Christmas, Christmas Yule themed uh, adventure. It stemmed from last year. Uh, I was playing a Midgard campaign by Kobold Press, which if no one has gone and gotten any of the Midgard books, you really should because it is fantastic. Uh, it's literally fantasy Europe for 5e. Um, <clears throat> so very, very good setting. Um, but I had made this, you know, this region called Nordvinder, uh, which was like its own little mini setting. And Krampus showed up and he steals the light of Yule uh, away from Father Sonoroth, and they have to get the Light of Yule back uh, in order to protect uh, the mortal world. So that was really, I wanted to explore with that one, you know, the themes of Yule, themes of Christmas, but also look at the history of it and sort of the folk tales and folklore, um, and really also pull in some stories. Like in, slight spoilers for Light of Yule, you know, Rudolph's in it, but not his dweeby claymay version. Um, you've got Santa, only Father Sonoroth. Yep. Um, you've got Krampus, Jack Frost, Sandman. Um, so I kind of want to do all that. And with with the Light of Yule, having Abby's art to help with that was really pristine um, because Abby really helped bring it to life visually. Uh, Marcel's cover, who um, folks might recognize his work uh, from Hellbound Heists. He did the cover for Hellbound Heists. Yeah, so the, the cover in particular is very sort of like eye-catching, the sort of um, almost like tapestry or like stained glass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so Marcel's work for The Light of Yule was, his cover really helped, Abby's art interior really helped, and having Ryan to help me with that was also really good. And I think its adventure quality is definitely higher and I think it's better organized than Barrowbound. But with Barrowbound, so Barrowbound was entirely just me. Uh, I was the only person working on Barrowbound, uh, aside from my artist, who, uh, Miss Alpi, she did the cover. Um, and so she is an amazing talent. And if you've seen her, she's done work uh, with um, the Night Librarians that Brittany did. So she did the cover art. 
immensely helpful. And then Joshua Clark, um, Tone Scribbles on Twitter, he did our interior pieces uh, for Big Bad. But with that one, I really wanted to explore themes of repatriation of remains, the um, the situation a lot of indigenous peoples find themselves in. Because the premise of uh, Barrowbound is that you are four hobgoblins who are sent to repatriate, return the remains of one of your ancient daimyo from a museum in Baldur's Gate, and you have to bring it back to the barrow and bury it. Uh, only along the way, there are folks that keep trying to attack you. You get to the barrow, it's been destroyed. And then eventually you find out at the very end of it uh, that it's actually his ancient rival who has somehow gotten himself resurrected. Uh, and it's like, I will destroy his corpse so he may never, his soul will always be forgotten. Um, and spoilers again for that adventure. What I really played on with that is the fact that at the end, and I see little hints of it all throughout with sort of the, the narrative text, is that you as the players discover that you are actually undead. You, have, you are resurrected hobgoblin warriors from the past, sort of who were sent as an honor guard to bring back this lost leader. And at the end of it, you have a choice whether or not you will go back to your rest, you know, back to, back to your peace, or if you choose to know, we want to stay alive, we want to, you know, We've been asleep for thousands of years. We want to remain, remain alive. And that, I think, Barrowbound got really good reception from a lot of people that went and looked at it because I tackled very present real-world issues in that. And I think, especially given since I want to be a social studies teacher, I like to use role-playing games to teach, and to educate, and to get some of those heavier topics. And I think having that experience that I wove into Barabound to talk about, you know, indigenous peoples and <clears throat> repatriation and respect for the dead was something that I think I really, I think I really hit well on that. And that was what I, I think, while it's not the best laid out adventure, I think uh, the theme that I have throughout it, I'm very proud of with that one. No, honestly, it's interesting, especially to try and, um, like, I can't imagine the, difficulty to try and tackle a subject matter like that um and especially to do it justice um and even better to do it through the the lens of hobgoblins which typically within D&D don't have the best reputation <laughs> um but i i, I guess i guess we've, we've we've i guess we, we, we've we kind of discussed the landscape of everything that you sort of dipped your toes into and sort of like mm. uh, you know uh, done um i'm curious then if if any anything across that anything stands out as like your favorite part like when it comes to starting a project is there a favorite part or is it just i think my favorite part is really getting to work with the artists uh because i'm in a scenario where i'm in school a lot of the time i can't commission artists because i just don't have the money laying around so i'm very lucky in some cases to meet with artists who are willing to do royalty stuff yeah. And I don't think my stuff would sell without their work. And honestly, I champion my artists as much as I can because being that I have a very visual and very cinematic mind, uh, my whole thing is I don't think it comes alive fully unless there's art in it. And I know that there's like the element of, you know, make-believe, imagine that image for yourself. But 
really the, I would not have worked as hard on some of these things if I hadn't had progress pictures coming in from the artists. Um, and it's just amazing. And plus I work with a lot of international artists as well. Um, Ruben Cardenas, who did the art for Voice of the Gods, he's from Brazil. Um, Marcel, he's German, who did the cover for uh, Light of Yule. Mm -hmm. And Bruno, uh, Bruno Rodak, who did stuff for um, The Drowned and The Dark Rider. Uh, he's from uh, Croatia. So having the art and seeing it come in and being part of that design process is honestly so amazing because you know, I can put text on a page, I can add cool titles, I can add, you know, interesting effects and paper and backgrounds, that kind of thing. But it's the art that I think gives it the overall theme. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, yeah um, no, no, 100%. And I think as well, especially anyone who, like, like, like yourself, you said, very, very, you want to get that sort of cinematic experience. It, particular art pieces in the right place can be very sort of emotive. And they can sort of like, you can, you can, again, was it like, a, was it they say a thousand words, a picture is worth a thousand words. And it is true and stuff like that, you know, in, in, in the sense of like, you know, if you, if you see, um, <laughs> to use your, uh, a sugar plum scout example, mm -hmm. if you, if you, if you, you seeing, seeing them sort of deliver that, whatever that explosion is, that Yeti, it, 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 it has that image straight in your head. And you can imagine the, you know, events that led up to it, the events that lead after it, it's, it's a whole thing. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, no, I, it, it's something that I kind of like, I've, I've started, thankfully, through, through, you know, with everything I've been doing on, on the DMs Guild, been able to sort of now um, engage in artists and, you know, start commissioning like art. Um, and it's, 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 again, seeing those, those initial sketches to the final project, it's always like, this, it's official now. This is, this is a thing. <laughs> yeah, and it's the really fun thing that I like doing is um, <clears throat> I always like one of the reasons that I do those art packs is one of the reasons that I like doing those art packs is because it gives an opportunity for the artist to take the art that we made together and let other people use it because that just seems more fair to me because I shouldn't be the only one that has access to it. You know, other folks should be able to use it as well. Um, one of the other things I like doing is before I start writing, I have a concept and I look for an artist first because the artist helps me imagine what I'm going to do from there. Mm -hmm. um, so when I started working on um, my Zorforge project, apologies, there's someone honking the answer. <laughs> um, when I started working on my Zorforge project, I wanted to find someone who was a Bionicle fan, first and foremost, okay. and someone that was a really good artist. So I spent like... <sighs> day and a half cruising DeviantArt and ArtStation and Instagram and all over until I finally found um, Eden Sanders at Creative Mechanics uh, on uh, Instagram. And so I worked with my writing partner, uh, Griffin Fred, on that. And, you know, Eden was sending pictures to us, uh, the sketches as the day went on. We were looking at them, editing them, and doing it. And as we were getting the pictures of the cover, um, when they were working on them, that was influencing how Griffin and I were writing because we saw this image that Eden was developing um, and the work that Steve did with uh, with the cover was, uh, Steve Feiler did with the cover was also just really good because he did the whole layout and everything for it. Um, 
and then since you use the sugar plum scout as an example, yeah. uh, if no one has, you should go and check out uh, Parallels Adventure Studios. They're awesome. They do a lot of uh, young adults or kid D&D stuff, um, which is really fantastic. They actually have a Kickstarter going on right now. Um, I had had them on my show, and so I said, hey, if you guys ever want to work together, I'd love to. And they were like, sure. And so I told them about my Christmas class ideas, and they immediately were like, okay, we claim the Nutcracker, <laughs> we claim the Scout. And um, when uh, when the artist, Jeremy, he's, he's like, okay, so what do I want to do for the Sugar Plum? And I was like, I'm going to be honest, Green Arrow, but reskinned to Christmas. And he was like, I can take that and I can run with that. Yeah. Um, and it was just... <laughs> It was so great because he sent it to me. I was like, he looks, this is so serious, but so goofy at the same time. Like he looks cool. And then you see the sugar plum with the giant ass hammer. Yeah. And you're like, okay, it was serious, but now it's just goofy. <laughs> Look, um, I, I kind of have like a, a almost like a small tangential question because especially with like the, the Zorforged and the, all the sort of pop culture references that you sort of pull mm -hmm. into your work. Um, I'm curious, like, is, is there any, like, I've never recorded, but is there any sort of like copyright? How do you navigate that space with the DMs Guild? Is that? No, that's a good question. Yeah. The way it works, and I've had many emails with uh, Liza Penrose about this um, <laughs> to make sure that I, that I don't get into trouble, is the way you navigate it, as long as, oh, what's the, the exact wording? As long as you can tell that it's its own thing, Mm -hmm. it's fine like you can say inspired by this uh if you've ever seen the uh patron of liberty uh that uh britney did yep. it says inspired by the by your favorite shield throwing avenger mm -hmm. in it so you can say inspired by and that kind of thing um you just have to be careful you know, yeah, you I, was, I was gonna say because obviously, obviously, like again, I mean, I think even if you were like a like looking at Zorforge, if you weren't aware of Bionicle, I don't think you would necessarily make that comparison. At least just looking at the cover, or maybe like through mm -hmm. the pages. But yeah, no, I I, I, I can definitely see the vibe. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that's the thing is that whenever I make the stuff that's pop culture related, you know, I want to make sure that there's elements mm -hmm. in it that people who are fans are like, aha, we know what you're doing there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but folks that um <clears throat> might not be like oh that looks really cool and then they get into it and they find out yeah. and it's also part of the reason that we we you know are able to work around it is that while there's the idea mm -hmm. you have to edit it and manipulate it and tweak it for the world so like with the the lawmaker which is the robocop uh warforged race i was like okay robocop is very futuristic very sci-fi how do I make that work in D&D? &D? So, and I was talking around with some folks on the Eberron Discord and the DM Skill Discord. And um, we came up with eventually with the idea, okay, they, you have House Deneath and there's Sentinel Marshals. So what if House Deneath was like, okay, we have all these Sentinel Marshals, they die. We don't want to lose their skills. So we'll just slap them in Warforged bodies and call it quits. Yeah. Which is enough of an homage that you know it's Robocop and mm -hmm. the art is probably like, that, 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 that's, fantasy Ro that's fantasy Robocop, but it's original enough that it's also unique to the world. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where, because uh, I, I had to first be careful with that when I was starting to draft my Transformers idea. Um, and sort of that's coming down the pipeline, um, but how to work with that because you know 
you see something that's Optimus Prime, it's pretty obvious that it's Optimus Prime. Yeah. So no, no, you gotta I, be a little I, careful. I, I must admit, I 100% I have to give you like kudos for like the way you've you've definitely taken all these concepts and 110% made them your own. Um, to the to the point that like I mean, there's I I, I can imagine like there's so many like groups of like D and D groups out there where one person sits down at the table and they're just like, I want to be Robocop. And then the DM's like, okay, well, let's let's see if we can work this out. But to have like you know these sort of products out there, it's just like, well, there you go. You are now potentially a slightly overpowered, but still Robocop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, the the fun thing that I always like to do with those is really make because one of the issues I always find with classes and subclasses and that kind of thing and sub races is that it's primarily mechanical. It's only just mechanics. There's no real role play elements incorporated into it. So like when we did, um, <clears throat> when I did a lawmaker, which kudos to uh, Toby Blanchard who did our interior art. Uh, he blew it away with that art. Um, when we did that, <coughs> the big thing I wanted to do is like, okay, how can I make this accessible to other folks as well? Not just folks who want to be a lawmaker. So there's a mechanic in there that if a member of your party dies, uh, you can go to House Deneath, pay them 2,000 gold. Your party member cannot have been dead for longer than 10 days, and you can put them in a lawmaker body. I'm straight, straight in that. <laughs> but the problem is, is that they have to sign a document swearing fealty to House Deneath. Okay. And that's and then every week they have to report to House Deneath, and it, mm -hmm. it brings in that level of role play that I always search for. Because... At the core of a Dini's role play, if there's no role play, then it's not really worth, you know. Sure, you can do the max amount of damage, max speed, all that different stuff. But if you're not telling the story, then it's not worth it. And yeah, the 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 opportunity for someone to go through and become become Robocop and have all these sort of plot hooks that open themselves up, and especially what is it I, again? So I'm not so familiar with the uh, Arabon um, setting. But I know it is very sort of like pulpy fiction and sort of like spies and betrayal and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. having, again, also, I think this is like a general rule for D&D. Being forced to for, like, uh, like be, um, give fealty to anything, nine times out of ten is a bad thing. <laughs> to be perfectly loyal, it's, it's, chances are that they're going to be using you for some sort of sinister machination mm -hmm. or plots. Um, but no, so I, I, okay, so I guess sort of continuing around with your sort of like the creative process and stuff like that. Um, Working with the artists, 10 out of 10, best part. Um, are there any sort of parts of the project that you don't necessarily enjoy? I think the biggest elements I don't like is when, and it kind of connects to the artists as well, is there's points when, you know, I'll have a project idea, it'll be ready, and I'll go to an artist, like, hey, you know, I'd love to work with you, but I can only do this. And they say, well, I can't, I can only take commission. And I understand, and that's always just hard, because I'm like, dang it, you know, now this project's just kind of in stasis. Um, but I think the hardest part for me is, you know, being a beginning creator is that none of my stuff has really taken off and kind of like exploded yet. Um, and it's definitely hard, you know, because I put so much time and effort into it and I really, you know, create it. And then, running into criticisms of oh this is too overpowered oh this is you know this wouldn't fit this wouldn't work and it's hard because you know 
in role-playing games, especially in recent months, there's been this, you know, huge issue of gatekeeping and folks just say, oh, this is D&D. If you don't fit X, Y, and Z, you can't yeah. do it, which is really bothersome and really hurts a lot of the time. Um, and I've been the butt of some criticism for the stuff I make in that it doesn't, you know, oh, it doesn't work. Oh, it doesn't fit. It doesn't really make sense to have it. And it's always hard because I'm like, well, why are you coming? Like, why do you have to criticize it? You know, can't you just say like, I wouldn't do that. So I'm not going to go and go after it. Yeah, no, it's like the classic case of like, if it, it, it's, it's not designed for them and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And for the people who it is designed, it's, it's you know, the ideal thing. Um, yeah, the, 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 the DMs Guild is, is, is a tricky one. Um, and I think it's been interesting because I've been fortunate enough to sit down with like creators um, who've, kind of um, had like initial huge amount of success. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they sort of feel that sort of, um, I guess that sort of like uh, expectation that not everything, everything else they release afterwards isn't gonna meet that sort of initial expectation. Um, and I guess that there is the sort of the other side of the coin of like, I guess the building up a, a big catalog that um, it does tick up over time and stuff at, but it isn't like, again, it's not having like a, you know, a, a, a mithril bestseller. Which yeah. I think there's only like I think there's like fifty on the guild. They're, yeah. they're few and far between, um, and you can only really get there if you're Matt Mercer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's also hard because you know, kind of going back to my family background, you know, they're traditional New Englanders. They are hard workers. You know, they are stereotypes. They keep their emotions close to their chests. You know, they're very private, very focused on work very driven by work and my parents don't really understand my creativeness mm-hmm. um, so like even before I started publishing on the guild you know I did stuff for Black Void games and Lunar games so I have worked publishing other role-playing books and it was always an issue of when are you making money when are you getting paid are you signing contracts are you yeah. doing this and it was oh and it's it's still like that at this point today and it's very hard because you know there's part of me that's like you know i can live with not having a copper bestseller i can live with you know not making oodles of money um and it is it is hard you know because there's that part of me that says you know i'm just doing this to have fun but then there's another part of me that just wants to show my parents and show my family that this is something legitimate that i can actually do this see I got an award see I made this and it's a constant trial between the two different sides of it so it's always hard to try and find that balance no no I I have to agree I think it's 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 weird that the DM skill by by nature is a weird thing it's a weird beast like the moment you sort of um there's a commercial aspect aspect to a hobby it, it shifts the dynamic and it's hard to sort of, you know, uh, get it right um, when yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm doing this because I enjoy it. And it's like, oh, I also make money. And then it slowly shifts and like, oh, maybe, you know, I could make more money if, but then it, yeah, it's, it's, it's that eternal sort of, um, yeah. and yeah, I, I guess, guess um, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's what I think what's great about this, this, this podcast is, is chatting to everyone sort of across the spectrum um, because, um I think, I think, I don't know, it's, it's, there, there's the aspiration to sort of do this full time, but then it's mm-hmm. like, would that, would I still get the same enjoyment or would that 
would it be different in some way? Yeah. Would it, um, would it take away the charm? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the right, I think was that I need to speak to um, Adam. Adam's now like um, full time. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I need to, I'll get him on my TV. Are you having, is everything all right, Adam? Are you having fun? Is this, <laughs> are you enjoying yourself? Yeah. Uh, ask him. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but no, so uh, I guess, um, so you released the first product, the, um, and back, what was it? At, at, was it towards the start of 2019, I believe, the um, uh, sort of celestial subclasses? Voice of the Gods was October 2019, yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious then, um, going, going back to October then, are there any sort of particular lessons that you wish you'd learned earlier in the sort of the whole DMs Guild publication process? I think the biggest thing is I think I wish I started sooner. Like, obviously, I know you have to be over 18 in order to publish stuff on there. Um, I really wish I had known about it sooner um, because it just would, it would have been a great outlet for me before. And I've met so many fantastic people mm -hmm. that have become, you know, icons that I hope to someday, you know, aspire to do. And just knowing that there are folks that were there that could I could go to and ask for creative advice was really powerful. And I, I just think the biggest thing, it doesn't have to do with publishing or anything I wrote or anything, it would really just be wishing that I knew about it sooner and that I had started doing this sooner. Um, because I think if I had started sooner, I think by now, you know, if I had started when I was a freshman in college, by now I think I would... I think I'd be a lot better. I think I would have a lot more content. I would know a lot more. Um, and I've certainly learned a lot from working on the guild. I've learned more about marketing and more about, you know, graphic design, all these different things. Um, and even, you know, I think I've learned almost more than from that than I have from doing my podcast. And yeah, I think just wishing that I had started sooner. I think is the, the big thing. Yeah, I, I must admit, like this, I suppose in the, in the grand scheme of things, I guess it was only, um, was it? So the sort of DMs Guild was sort of pushed live like early to 2016. So the, the, honestly, the Guild hasn't, hasn't been around for like a, a huge amount of time. Um, and the growth it's gone through, like, I think uh, one of the questions I was asking was, like right at the start was like, what was the first like official product posted on the Guild? Um, and, and yeah, it, it was actually turned out to be was, uh, Matt Mercer's, uh, Gunslinger was the, uh, sort of first product to sort of like push live and sort of, you know, get, get all that sort of promotion in. Um, but it, I think it has changed. And I think with the, um, RPG Raya uh, workshop, I think that has brought in a huge influx of, uh, creators. Um, and yeah, I, th I think the, 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 the landscape of the DMs Guild has, has changed and it's weird to kind of watch it in, in ebbs and flows. Even even over such a short space of time, because geez, I was um, I started in um, I think it is March, maybe May last year. So I'm, I'm I've got like what was it like a few months like 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 that. That's pretty much it. Yeah, because um, I remember you sent me some of your stuff to review on my podcast. You were one of the first folks. And... Oh, so one second, I just need to refocus my camera because oh, no worries. I'm still it's fine. You know, I'll be I'll just be a blurry man. <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, no, and, and I, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it is fascinating. Um, 
yeah, I just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. If I, if I could have been around in 2016, like uh, up there, I think it would, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's one of those, uh, if I had a time machine, um, which as, as of yet, I don't, um, yeah, but I'm working on it, you know, <laughs> I've got, you know, at the moment it's just a box full of wires, but I'm pretty sure it's going to happen by some freak accident anyway, rather than any sort of intentional effort. <laughs> strike, gremlins, who knows? Yeah. Um, uh, well, no. So, I, I guess, I guess the um, the next question, sort of following on from that, then is um, what, what what have you got next in the works? Like, uh, what are you working on at the moment? Oh, I got a lot. Um, <laughs> the the question is to be fitting it in between all of the ed paperwork I have to do for my certification. Yeah. Um, the next big thing that's going to be coming out, I've got more little boar forged series coming out, more sub races. Um, Got one based off of Claptrap from Borderlands nice. coming out. So I'm curious, think... like, do you, do you have, what, what's, what's, can you can you give like a, a little like sneak peek about like what's the, the number of like Warforged sub sub races you got going? Um, I don't have a set number, okay. only because I think the the way I phrase it to a friend is I'm gonna keep doing it until I get bored mm-hmm. or I feel like I'm just scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, I mean um, there are there are a lot of iconic pop culture ro- robots out there. Yeah, there there are, and there's there's certainly there's really iconic ones that I want to hit on. There's some that I want to bring, especially there's gosh, there's so many from like the fantastically terrible sci-fi movies of the '40s and '50s where it's just cardboard boxes covered in aluminum foil. Yeah, um, it's like it's like uh, '60s Doctor Who. Run away is the shaving cream. Um, <laughs> Cybermen, yeah. yeah. The new update did make them a little bit scarier. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, So the Warforged sub-races, just like the little ones that I've been releasing this past week, those we're going to keep on going. Um, Got the Claptrap one called the Jester, uh, which is going to be coming along. Um, I'm working on the Transformers sub-race. That's going to be a lot of fun. That has definitely been a major mechanical challenge because I was trying to figure out how to make the actual transforming work yeah, uh, and not be broken. Cause that's one where I knew, okay, this is something I can't make broken. Cause if I do, they will be unplayable. <laughs> I want people to be able to play these. Yeah. Um, so there's those um, I'm doing one that, what else we got? We got an adaptation of how from uh, 2001 space odyssey. I'm working on that um, adaptation of general grievous from star Wars uh playing with that um who else so it, it, it sounds like you've got, you've got a fair few sort of churning away uh mm-hmm. at least on the thought what, what i'm curious then what about on the seasonal or maybe sort of subclass side of things subclasses i've kind of so subclass subclass wise um well, there's one other Warforged thing I want to talk about. Oh no, about. Cool. sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, so the other big Warforged stuff coming down is more um, Bionicle uh, themed stuff. So with Zorforged, we took some of the more iconic Bionicle stuff, uh, Rakshi, Borak, the Paraka, and Makuta, and converted those to monster stat blocks, but also into playable races. Mm-hmm with the concept being these are primordial warforges that were made by the Dalcor uh, or by the Kiari to fight against the drow and the giants and, you know, their parasites and that kind of thing. 
So I actually just got the final art today for the cover and holy cow, am I excited. Um, but that is going to, so Fae Forged is our adaptation of, uh, the bionic, of actual like Toa and stuff. Um, so you'll have ice, fire, water, air, earth, stone, and then um, star and shadow, shadow forged. So you'll have eight different warp forged with types within this subrace, all based around different elements. Uh, each of them will have a elemental ability and then or they'll have two elemental themed abilities. And then there were also adapting mechanics for uh, the masks, for also using masks as artifacts, as magic items. After that, we're going to have the uh, Geographica Phage Forgica, which is going to be a little mini setting book with lore on each of the cities of the Fae Forge, so players will be able to use that. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really excited for those. I'm working with a bunch of artists right now on all of those. Uh, Marcel, who did um, the cover for The Light of Yule, he's doing all the interior art for Bayforged. Oh. And some of them are pristine. I will send some of them to you so you can see uh, what it's looking like. Um, but then subclass-wise, the only big subclass thing I'm working on right now, um, so Root and Twig was partially, was ded I dedicated to my dad and my grandpa. Uh, sort of with them being foresters and having that history in our family. I'm working on right now a Circle of the Garden uh, uh -huh. Druid, which is going to be for my mom and yeah. my grandma. And the premise of that is you have, within that circle, you have four sub-circles. So you have a vegetable-themed one, a fruit-themed one, flower, and herb. So you have four different sub-circles. Uh, so each of them has a different little sort of ability that comes with them. Uh, the flower garden druid has a little shambling sod. So it's like a little wandering garden that walks with them. Oh, um, it, it, it sounds, sounds adorable. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hopefully the art, I think, uh, Eden, who did the art, the cover for Zorforge is going to be doing all the art for that. We're going to be going with like a field journal, uh, Kind of feel kind of inspired by Spiderwick, uh, which is going way back. Um, then the the fruit, uh, the fruit uh, druid, they have like a little uh, sort of bottle of different juices, and as you level up, the juices give you different abilities. Uh, the vegetable one, you can summon four veggie spirits that'll help you out. Uh, I think it's All right. <laughs> uh, we've got the pumpkin, radish, maize, and can't remember the other spirit, but we have all those spirits okay. uh, that'll come into play. Um, one of the really cool things is all of their final abilities, they turn into a giant of their associated type. So you'll have a fruit giant, a herb uh, giant, yeah. a veggie giant, or a flower giant. Um, so that's going to be... And the thing is, we're going to try to make the giants as epic and intimidating as possible. We'll see how it goes, yeah, uh, considering that they'll be made out of veggies and All fruits. Fruit. <laughs> yeah, um, but that's the really big uh, subclass thing. Um, other things that are in development with subclasses is um, me and three of my buddies. We are taking uh, the different 
because in the back of the PHB, you got those different tables of deities. Mm -hmm. We're taking the real world ones. So we got Celtic, Norse, Greek, and Egyptian. And we're adapting each of those gods into a subclass. Um, so for instance, uh, one I made for Egypt, um, each of them has a different title. So Blood of the Sands is Egypt, Blood of the Hills is Celtic, Blood of the Titans is Greek, and then Blood of the North is Norse. Um, so for Set, I did a, a beast. Warlock patron is holding his Set is the beast. Um, a buddy of mine who did Hades, he did a circle of ore, circle of wealth, Druid, because a lot of people don't remember that Hades is kind of also a deity of earth gems uh, to some degree so there's that and then uh, another big thing i'm doing over with folks at the guild is kind of a collaborative project is we're taking uh league of legends champs and adapting them into uh subclasses and that's really fun because league is so over the top and yeah. so epic with everything that it has that they just scream D D stuff some of them you can already do pretty easy like Yasuo, he's a samurai. Yeah. Uh, Yorick, grave domain cleric. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I suppose you do have what is it like 115 characters? Did you, are there, oh, so many. You can, so many. Yeah. You just <laughs> just put your hand in the bag, pull one out. That's something. <laughs> yeah. Um, one that I worked on that, and that's another thing. We're just waiting for artists to sign on for those. Um, we got tons of folks doing it. Uh, Lydia Van Hoy, who did the Half Race Handbook, mm -hmm. she did a Succubus patron for uh, Evelyn, yeah. Sven, uh, he did one for Zaya and Rakan, which is really cool. Uh, Drew did Timo. Uh, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's absolutely disgusting. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, Drew did it perfectly. It's so much like Timo, and I hate it so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's so beautiful. No, I, I must admit. So, like the, the whole sort, this whole sort of like a uh, chat and talking about your sort of creative process, it, it is literally fascinating to see how much you draw on like real world elements or pop culture. And I, I think honestly, it's like it almost feels like it's like an untapped resource. Like you're you're out there like in this in this land that has hardly been been touched, and you're like I can I can play, plant my flag here, and this is this is all mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's like it's all like I love creating my own stuff. But when there's the potential to take other stuff mm. and adapt it from like history or pop culture or that kind of thing, it's just so much fun. Like uh, with the the arena of champions is what we're calling the the league series that we're adapting. Um, I don't know if you play any league yourself. I, uh, I, I like that. I, I used to. Uh, I'm, I, I occasionally <laughs> dip back in. You know how it is. That's fair. Yeah, I, I understand it. Um, <laughs> even though I can't mechanically play them at all, I love Tom Kench because you have so much pure Cajun Creole mythology around this giant catfish man. And you know he's evil. You know he's the devil. Yeah. But his voice is so deep and rumbling and soothing that you're like, oh, you could talk all day and I wouldn't mind if you sound less full away. So I decided to make him a obviously a warlock patron because yep. that's literally the only thing he could do. Um, <laughs> And one of the really fun mechanics is obviously his whole thing is he eats things is that at third level, your stomach turns into a bag of holding. Fantastic. So nice. you can eat things, put them in your stomach and then just ralph them out as an action. Uh, so you just, you have an in-person's uh, bag of holding. Um, and that's another thing is that's another class where I integrate a lot of role play. Cause it's like, you know, 
you have to eat for an hour every day because your hunger is so intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, at 14th level, I don't know what the ability is, but um, essentially you at that point are directed by him to go out and complete bargains and you can swallow targets whole if they're below a certain portion of their health, Yeah, uh, which is really, really fun. But Sorry, that was a lot. No, I think uh, but I, that's kind of what's, what's happening. I think, like, again, it, it's, you, you, it sounds like oh, I'm out of focus again. Uh, it honestly sounds like you've got like a, a huge amount of, well, you've got a lot on your plate for one, um, but also it sounds like you've got like a huge sort of wealth of, of products to sort of tap into. And it's, it's, no, it, it's, it's also to sort of hear how, how, how excited um, you are about things. And no, I, I think it's, it's it, and more importantly, it sounds like you've got like a really good group of people around you. Um, to sort of help you get like, like from not let alone the artists, but also people within the, the DMs guild, and that's something that a lot of people sort of tapped on a fair bit of like how important um, collaborations were uh, for the oh, yeah. process. Collaboration is absolutely amazing because I love getting to work with so many talented people, and also like just getting to review their stuff like on my own show. Like when I when the, the Creator Circle Facebook group was still a thing. And, <laughs> I, yeah, right. uh, and I made that first post about, hey, you know, I've got my podcast. I'd love to review your guys' stuff on it. Um, the first people to send me stuff was Brian, Anthony, Anne, you. Uh, can't Rob. Laura, I think, I think it was like six or seven people were the first folks that immediately said, here, here are things, review them. And since then, like, like those folks are, it's, it's hard to put it into words because for someone as young as myself, who is just getting started, I think I'm probably one of the youngest creators on the guild at 21. I, if not probably the youngest, um, it's amazing having other folks, regardless of age, being so close to them, learning all this stuff. Only hard part is I'm on the East Coast. Mostly everyone else is like yourself who are international yeah. or live in the Midwest. They live in the West Coast. And I am poor and I can't go to conventions to see them, which is sad. Or like uh, was it you? You wake up like the next morning, and there's been like three different conversations across the across the yeah, like, Dad, I missed this like, oh, I could have. Oh. <laughs> well, I couldn't have. I was asleep. Yeah. Um, so just having the, the plethora of just good people in the guild, and I, there's of course been drama that I have learned about over the past. Um, and I sort mean, of, that's, I just think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that's that's part of any community, but yeah. you know, the, the mods, the people in charge of the Discord, and you know, um, the people in charge of the DMs Guild, um, Lysa is is so so wholesome and 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 you know, yeah. good at sort of bringing the community around them. Um, this actually does perfectly lead into like one of the, one of the big questions, which is if there is someone within the DMs DMs Guild community that sort of inspires you, uh, this is a chance to you know, I mean. It is always hard to name one person. Uh, feel free yeah. to, you know, throw, throw out a few names, you know. <laughs> I was, I was, Matt, I was dreading this question. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. Um, oh, I think for different elements, I admire different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Anne Gregerson, her drive, 
I mean, there's a reason we have an emoji in the Discord named after her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there is a reason. Um, her graphic design skill, like her <coughs> layout and design skill. When I got to review her uh, Strauchian's Guide to the Surviving the Apocalypses and um, uh, Aaron's Guide to Leah, I know I probably butchered that name, but I can't remember it. Her graphic design skill is amazing. And her graphic design skill is something that I always try to shoot for and push for and try to do every time. Like I don't have InDesign, I don't have any of that stuff. I just use Microsoft Word, and GIMP and paint.net and that's about it. But I always try to shoot for like her level of stuff. Um, uh, Anthony Joyce, that man is a marketing machine. Mm -hmm. uh, his just the amount of marketing knowledge he has is amazingly incredible and just fascinating absolutely fascinating i learn have learned so much about marketing from him that it's just insane um justice arman he you know he he makes stuff that at first you're kind of like what and you're like holy cow uh i didn't know i needed that like uh <laughs> my devil's advocate yeah um a perfect example of something that i talked to him and he's like yeah i didn't expect it to go anywhere then it mm -hmm. turned into a platinum bestseller i mean i think when, when, so he, i spoke to him what was it like two weeks ago now but yeah he was sort of explaining how that it was like the perfect storm of a release mm -hmm. um and yeah it's it's, it's they happen and you know i suppose you just gotta keep shoot, shoot, shooting your shot <laughs> yeah yeah um so just him for always pushing me to know that like even if folks don't like the stuff I make, I'm still going to make it because I want to make it. Yeah. Um, who else? Uh, I think Brian Holmes mm -hmm. and Ryan Langer, just because those two guys took a huge chance on being the first two people I ever collabed with, you know, Ryan with Root and Twig, and he sunk so much time into almost doing everything on Root and Twig uh, because I had no layout knowledge. I had no idea how to balance stuff and he really took me under his wing and trained me and helped me learn um so huge you know he's a massive influence um brian just because also fellow transformer nerd uh <laughs> you know he i also learned so much about from him on layout and design and organization um just fantastic um and then I think uh, I'm gonna do two more. Okay, fair. No, 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 I'm, like, I'm, I'm gonna try and cap myself. Um, and then I think the other two folks that I really look up to, that I really, really look up to, is um, Brittany and Laura. Um, Brittany, just because she is just a fantastic human. Um, yeah. She's always, you know, doing her best to be happy, even when she's having a crappy day. She's always there for everyone. She's always there to talk. Um, and she's just amazing. And then with Laura, um, sort of, this is a little bit of a story. Uh, when I was in high school and middle school, um, I got bullied real, real bad, real bad, um, to the point of almost ending it twice. And it was Eberron that kept me alive, literally, Eberron and my dog. And when they released a, when they released the 
uh, Eberron, Eberron Con. Um, and they had me review it. I literally started crying because it brought back all those memories of this sad, lonely kid sitting in his room, listening to the Golden Compass and reading his 3.5 Eberron books. And Laura just has this skill to create something so amazing and also just be a wholesome person. And her sons are adorable. And I love hearing about all their escapades on Twitter uh, because it's very funny <laughs> hearing about bullying kids and all the other things that they do. Um, but yeah, I know there's a longer list. No, no, I think that, that's what goes, goes to say what's, what's so great about this community um, is the fact that yeah, there are so many people who, who are perf- like uh, aspir- aspirational, aspirational, inspirational, all the inspirationals. Um, it's, it, it, and, and yeah, and, and, and I, I, I always feel bad asking that question, no, n- not knowing inadvertently that there is always a limit. Because I, I, like I said, you've even said it throughout what, like this whole chat about the many artists you've had the privilege to work with. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm sure, I'm, hopefully they can, um, um, actually, this might be a good chance to just like, if you could just maybe run through their names quickly. And maybe like Twitter handles oh, or anything. Just, just. <laughs> I, I, I realize how much that's putting you on the spot. Then uh, I mean, don't, don't forget good. to do that. Don't listen to me. <laughs> um, well, I just did. I did that this morning on someone's Twitter feed. I just like listed everyone that I've worked with. Um, well, okay. What I will do then is, if you find me a link to that tweet, I will post the tweet in the description. Yeah, can do. They can, they can go straight to that and see all all the amazing artists you've worked with. Um, um, and I I can say that if any of them look at the previews of like my stuff. Um, I've kind of taken Laura's and Anthony's advice mm. and <coughs> all of my products now I give 100% full previews like from beginning of book to end of book full preview um, just so that way folks immediately know what they're getting um, I make sure to hyperlink everyone that works on it so you can go and you can see the artist and you can click and it will bring you to their website it will bring you to their Twitter page or their Instagram page um, because I want to make sure that if you like their art, you will go, you will buy things from them, you will commission them, yeah. you will do these things. Um, and it's also just nice seeing how after I work with folks, like I just take my artist and I'm like, here, fellow creators, <laughs> take my artist, use them. <laughs> uh, for it, like when I did uh, my Kamazots uh, Warlock patron and Rose Legion did that cover, mm-hmm. which she did that in a day, um, wow. by the way, in a friggin' day, which was <laughs> insane. Um, and afterwards, Adam was kind of like, can I use your artist? I was like, well, go for it. <laughs> go for it. Yes. I, 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 just, I just there's any sort of like possessive nature over like a creator and their artist. It's, <laughs> well, that's the thing is that I want, like I push all of my artists, like work with other people, like, Put your put stock art on the guild. Like go in and get involved, folks. Like um, Bruno Rodak, who did some of my art. He also did art for the Blood Ties anthology, which was a big collab I was part of. Um, he now is all over the guild, and he and I met like a couple years ago when we were doing art for a friend's role playing book. And he and I have known each other for a long time. And I was just like, "Hey, would you like to use my friend's art? It's really good." And uh, Darren Kenny was like, hell yeah, dude, let's use his art. And 
and now his art is everywhere, which is awesome. No, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's like again, it's, I, I've been mean, I want to get I want to get some eyes on this podcast because that's the one side of the community that in eleven episodes now, which is it's getting up. Dude, it's we're almost at drinking age <laughs> in terms of episodes. <laughs> um, maybe European drinking age, um, but you know, it's all the same. Um, but yeah, no, no, that, that, that's that's awesome. So yeah, hundred percent. I will I will get get that tweet, uh, get it in the description. Um, but I think we are getting towards the the end of the hour uh, that I yes. have you booked for. Um, I guess the, the 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 best way that I can think to end is is if people are interested in everything you've spoken about, uh, where can they find you? Where can they find you know your podcast or you know mm. everything that you do? So um, I will aim to not bore with tons of stuff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DaylightPub1066. Nice. Um, you will find 1066 on everything because the Battle of Hastings is cool and it's the easiest number I can remember. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that's pretty much on all my stuff. Uh, so that's Twitter. That's where I'm most active with RPG stuff. Um, my website, which has hyperlinks to all of my stuff on DMs Guild, <coughs> is... Um, HTTP slash slash or no, whatever yeah. is uh, www.daylightpublications.weebly.com. Um, my podcast, Comics, Scars, and Joys, which is kind of intermittently releasing episodes right now, given that I'm student teaching and no, I'm of course. very busy, uh, is www.comics, clerics, and controllers. All one word, no commas, and it's the spelled and, not the ampersand. So I don't think, and. can you can you get the ampersand in a web, web domain? No, I tried. Uh, <laughs> uh, dot com, and that's just where I do tons of stuff, and that has links to uh, me everywhere as well. Nice. Um, well, I, I, same way we'll do with the tweet. We'll have uh, some links down in the description, just because mm. you know, if you if you throw the links at me, I will I will act as a, a vessel. Yeah to get them onto the, 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 the website pages. <laughs> uh, so really it's, uh, I mean, my Twitter has links to everything. It's probably the social media I'm active on the most. Uh, I made a Twitter account when I was in high school for a class, didn't use it for a couple of years. And then Justice was like, yo, you should get back on RPG Twitter. And I was like, okay. So I did that. Um, so if you want to watch me spam how much of a nerd I am, uh, I, I, and, I, I, don't, I don't think you can like within the RPG community. It's everyone's yeah. on the same evil equal footing. It's, oh yeah. So <laughs> yeah, if you want to see me blab about Transformers yeah. and share all of my artists and like just be their little like black cauldron goblin and be like, look at my artists, they're all so cool. Um, I, can't imagine, I, just, I, I don't know why, but I'm imagining you like in a trench coat opening out and there's a bunch of artists. <laughs> you want to buy, you want to yeah. get an artist here? Yeah. Yeah. Some of the <laughs> pr premium, premium off the street. <laughs> I got, I got crime noir artist over here. I got anime artist over here. What can I get for you? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> well, well, Cam, thank you so much for joining me for this hour. Um, yeah, of course. This, this, this has been a lot. Like I said, I, I, these podcasts just an excuse for me to get together with cool people, uh, and mm. this is this has been a fun hour. Um, really, I guess uh, I, I've been Matthew Whitby. Um, you can find me at Whitby Writes. Um, it's you can find me wherever. Um, last last question, I guess, is how do you end a podcast? How do I end a podcast? Yeah, how do, how do you, here's the question: How do you end your podcast? And we'll we'll use that one this week. <laughs> well, um, I've kind of it's it's become a. a, a 
a saying around my house at home because I always end it with, hey there, folks. And then I always end it with, we'll catch you next time. That's nice. usually how I end it. Okay, no, cool. Wait, no, honestly, I will, uh, I'll, I'll let you do the honors. I mean, please, <laughs> please end my podcast. <laughs> okay. So this has been DM's Guildhouse, and we will catch you next time.